Welcome to a special bonus episode of Future Makers, in which I have a discussion with Mark Carney, the Governor of the Bank of England. He kindly invited us in to talk about climate change and the role of financial institutions in helping to deal with it. I hope you enjoy the discussion, which I certainly found very enlightening. We're here in the Bank of England to discuss climate change with Mark Carney. Mark, thank you very much for inviting us. But I imagine some people might be surprised to hear that the climate is a major concern of the Governor of the Bank of England. Do you think they should be surprised? Well, I can understand uh, that some might be surprised that uh, we take a direct interest in climate change. But that's in part probably because they don't know that we are the supervisor of uh, the fourth largest insurance industry in the world. And if you supervise insurance companies who provide insurance on homes or businesses or who provide what's called reinsurance, reinsurance of major risks around the world, insurance against hurricanes, other natural disasters, you realize that we have to take climate change seriously as a risk just for those firms themselves, because it's in many respects the number one risk that they have to manage. And I'm, I'm happy to report that the UK insurance industry is very, very good at managing these risks. However, part of being very good about managing climate change risks, if uh, physical risks from climate change if you're an insurer, is that you tend to raise your prices because those risks are going up, and you also tend to reduce your coverage. So there'll be homes that didn't used to be in regularly flooded areas that no longer are covered, or commercial real estate office buildings in Florida that uh, get hit by uh, hurricanes more frequently, and therefore it doesn't make economic sense for the company to provide that coverage. And that's part of the dynamic that's been happening over the last three decades is that we've seen the number of extreme weather events, not just bad weather, extreme weather events around the world that have been insured has gone up three times and the losses on those events have gone up an average of five times and that's inflation adjusted losses. So quite significant changes to the risk profile. There are much bigger losses that are uninsured and quite often in the poorest parts of the world as well. And that in and of itself would be enough to justify our interest and and necessitate our interest. But there is a broader set of issues around the financial system as a whole, because there are two types of risks that come from climate change as it affects the financial system. So think banks, uh, for example. The first is the impact of physical risks. I just talked about them for insurance companies. In general, for banks, in general, they don't have big exposures to those physical risks relative to the size of all their lending, for example. And they also lend in a relatively short horizon, sort of three, four, five years out, with the exception of mortgages, obviously, but three, four, five years out. And so when the bigger physical risks manifest themselves, when they happen, the banks think they'll be able to adjust their business models and and their lending accordingly. But they're also subject to a second type of risk. The entire financial system is subject to a second type of risk, uh, which, of course, is also an opportunity, but let me let me explain, which is a so-called transition risk. So as we know, the United Kingdom, through Parliament, has taken the decision to move to a net zero economy, net zero carbon economy by 2050. And that's a big change to our economy. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about that. But it means that certain industries that are very highly carbon intensive, if they don't adjust, those firms and those industries, those industries uh, will cease to exist. Other industries that provide renewables or or are much more efficient with respect to energy usage and and providing goods and services to us, they will expand and there'll be opportunities. And the question that every financial firm is going to have to ask themselves is, are they well positioned for the adjustments in the economy? 
Now, just to draw the thoughts together, if I may, the transition risk is the adjustment to the economy because of changes to government policy and what that causes in return, new technologies that uh, the private sector could come up with, regulations that could stop certain activities, carb prices on, uh, on pollution and other factors which change the economics of decisions. So these are, these are very fundamental risks that uh, affect the system. And as a consequence of all those, because we oversee the world's leading international financial system, we've taken an interest in getting some of the building blocks in place so the system can adapt accordingly. So this is anticipating future government action and making sure that the financial system and companies are ready to adapt. Well, it's recognising that if we are going to fulfil the law of the land, uh, if the country is going to move to net zero over the course of the next several decades, then virtually every financial asset is going to be repriced over time. Some positively, they'll go up, others negatively. And it's uncertain the speed with which that'll happen, partly depends on government policy. It also depends on what happens in terms of new technologies coming in uh, into play. It, it depends on societal attitudes. We've seen big shifts in people's um, use of non-disposable cups, for example. I mean, that that's a, it seems like a small example, but actually there are a series of uh, adjustments uh, that happen, and uh, businesses have to take those into account and anticipate them, and the financial sector has to support that. And can you spell out the role of the central bank? I talked about the physical risks, but I'll focus on these transition risks. So how can the system support the transition? We're not going to dictate the speed of the transition. That's the job for consumers for and, and government and government regulation. But we need certain building blocks so the financial system is ready for that transition. And in some cases, it might even pull forward that transition. I'll get to that at the end. So the first building block is information. They need information from companies that banks lend to or that uh, our pension funds and others invest in. What is, for example, the carbon footprint of that company and how does it compare to others? That's a point in time measure. And as you can appreciate, what's really interesting is where is that carbon footprint going? Does the company have a strategy for reducing that carbon footprint? How feasible is that strategy? Or possibly, and there are examples of this, does the company not take the transition seriously? Does it think that government actually won't fulfill, take the measures that are necessary, or, or that the science is not quite as compelling as uh, I think uh, you or I would, uh, and, and many listening, would, would think it is? So... Um, we need information first. That's the first building block. And the bank is part of that, is it? Well, what we did is uh, about four years ago uh, this time, we, as part of the Paris Agreement process, we worked with a group of other regulators to commission the private sector to come up with standards for providing this information. So there were common standards for companies around the world to provide both that static short-term information, how much carbon are they producing, and dynamic information, where, where are they heading in terms of how much carbon they produce, what's the governance of it, how is management compensated, all these types. And what's happened over the course of the last four years is there is now investors, large banks, large insurance companies around the world controlling balance sheets of $120 trillion dollars saying they now want this information, this standard, um, and the companies are beginning to respond. So we put in place that aspect. The second big thing we do as a central bank is we oversee not just the insurance companies, but the banks, the building societies, the core of the, of the financial system. We are 
just launching actually this month as we as we speak we're just launching a process called a stress test of those banks and the and the stress test is not the usual type of stress test we like giving them which is oh imagine a big recession and a global financial crisis and do you have enough resources to withstand it it's to say to those banks if you took your lending today your balance sheet and you projected it out 10 years from now 15 20 30 30 years to when we get to net zero, how would it look? How many of those companies, based on their current strategies for adjusting to climate change, adjusting to net zero, that transition, how many of those companies would be viable? And this is based on government policy? Yeah. Well, the assumption is that, for the assumption is you assume that, um, not, I mean, it seems a fair assumption that we'll actually do what uh, is the law of the land. Indeed. So you're not... Yeah. You're not in this process, as it were, predicting what the climate will be, you're factoring in the, the government's efforts to it, it, Exactly. That. It happens to be that we are predicting yeah. what the climate will be as well as a, as a separate set of issues. But the bigger risks in terms of potential, yeah. I mean, the long-term risks are, of course, all about the climate, yeah. uh, but the bigger risks in terms of potential losses or gains on uh, on their lending portfolio relates to Let's take the simple example of a price on carbon. If the price on carbon is you know, 30 pounds a ton today, roughly, and it goes up to 150, 200, 250 pounds a ton, uh, which may be required ultimately to get to net zero, how, how does their lending portfolio look at that point? So when you do these stress tests, you're not only looking at current government policy or... Absolutely. It's all about the future. And, it, and right. if I may, this is one of the... It's how one... Has, we have to look at risk because sure. these are risks to come, um, and there's a fancy. There's always a fancy term for it. Our fancy term is strategic resilience. <laughs> um, so, is your strategy as a bank or as an insurance company resilient to not just the physical changes of climate, but the changes in policy that will come if we're going to, we as a society, are going to achieve uh, net zero? It must be quite difficult to predict changes in future policy it well it is difficult in at one level you you can reduce it to something as simple as a carbon tax i mean there are various estimates of carbon taxes that would be consistent with the transition pathway so-called transition pathway to net zero climate policy is 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 multifaceted there's yeah. there'll be there'll be a price on pollution there'll there will be subsidies for certain activities there'll be regulations against other activities there'll be government spending um, in favor of certain things and on and on and on and there might be new technologies right well one well one expects that there will be new technologies um, so how uh, do you factor that in well I don't think you can assume cold fusion uh, in these things, so you can't. There's no. There's no, um, no instant that, get out of. And that's uh, not going to be a stress if it comes about. It's not right. a stress if you assume that. Right. Um, so, do you normally assume no radical novelties on the technological front? We won't. We won't assume that. Right. Um, the but the as the economics changes, for ex, as you can appreciate, for existing technologies, existing. Um, uh, ways of producing whatever a good or service, um, an intermediate good or final good, that provides a bigger incentive for that new technology. Um, of course, it, and that's uh, yeah. that's how the economy uh, moves forward. Yes, it's so what happens when our. I mean, this happens all the time outside of um, uh, something like climate change, where just our preferences change for 
you know, the price of avocados goes up. Because right. we but want. presumably a government publicly announcing and encouraging its central bank to take seriously that things are going to happen with regard to climate change itself hugely incentivizes businesses to change their practices. I, th- I think the... Uh, well, I think the jury is still out on that with respect to government policy, by which I mean that this country, relative internationally, I would say, has has had relatively coherent climate strategies and is closer to the forefront of those strategies and fairly ambitious intentions, net zero by 2050. But it's still early, relatively early days. And um, if one looks at carbon pathways, carbon price pathways and others, where the carbon price might need to go, there was a way to travel. Uh, And now, if I can make one point, which is that what financial markets will do, financial firms and investors will do, is that as that government policy, not not with respect to the central bank, but with respect to prices on carbon and other things, as that government policy becomes credible, then the market will pull forward future adjustment. It will anticipate yeah. that the, the continuing ratchet, ratcheting up, if you will, of climate policy, pull forward adjustment today because it makes it's profitable to, be get, to get ahead of that adjustment and then that makes the job easier. And how far do you think companies adapting what they do will be in response to what's happening in their finance? I mean, how much of it will be anticipating where they need to be in 20 years' time and how much that they're actually getting pressure from their insurers and so on. Well, it'll be, it's a mixture of both. The best companies lead and the worst are lag. In any structural change, you were, uh, I think, last year on on this podcast talking about artificial intelligence right. and, and you think about the... It's, we're very early days in terms of the implications of AI, machine learning, big data components of the same thing uh, in terms of their implications for virtually every business and activity including central banking were very early days for that but the companies that get out in front of those or who are early adopters will do better um, and some will just ultimately be blindsided by it sure so this is a whole economy transition which means that every financial asset is ultimately affected by it, uh, some a little, some a lot, some positively, some negatively. And the consequence of that is that if somebody's running a bank or an insurance company or investing um, our money in a pension fund or something else, and they're not anticipating the types of changes that are going to happen, both positively and negatively, then they're going to lose a lot of money. What we get concerned about is we're not, we don't know the pace of this transition depends on lots of things. You rightly mentioned technological change. It matters on government policy. It matters on you know, society's attitudes to certain products. We don't know the pace. But what we do know is that it will be a smoother adjustment, particularly for the, in the financial sector, but for the economy, if people have information and they're managing that. This is a market. They will have different views about the speed with which things will change. That's a good thing. You don't want everybody betting in one direction, everyone thinking it's going to be fine, and then find out that there has to be a sharp adjustment, or everyone thinking it's going to be a disaster and not investing money in some ideas, some of which will work and others won't. Right. So it's actually a strength of the market that you can adapt to uncertain circumstances. It is absolutely a strength of the market. Would you feel in general that enough people are taking climate seriously enough? 
again, I'd, I'd say the UK is, um, my experience, uh, towards the forefront of climate policy itself. And um, certainly in terms of the financial sector is at the forefront in terms of adjusting, you know, thinking about these risks, managing these risks. But I'd also say that with at, at virtually everything else with respect to climate change, it's not moving fast enough. Right. It's not moving fast enough not moving in the fast. UK. The UK is at the forefront, and even in the UK, it's not fast right. enough. Right. But uh, what about the rest of the world? Because uh, the, I mean, the rest of the world is lagging behind the UK. So and so. Uh, I mean, is that so, a well, you disaster can, story? Uh, well, that, uh, we should be. <laughs> our glasses are still half full as we speak. It means that more needs to be done. My feeling, our feeling at the bank, is that collectively in the UK, and COP26 will be a, a crucial year, uh, and the UK co-chairing that is, is vital, we have a very good sense of what needs to be done in the financial sector. You need, if you forgive the alliteration, we need reporting, so that information, the disclosure. We need risk management, when I talked about looking, stress testing the banks. And then we also need those who invest our money on our behalf, whether it's insurance company, pension, whatever, or ISA. Um, uh, to think about when they're targeting a return on that money to take into account the impact on climate change. Because ultimately, over time, that will be one of the biggest determinants of the value of those assets. Um, and we need them to start thinking about it now. They have to have the information, and then they have to go through the processes. And this, we're starting to move in that direction. And the mainstreaming of these uh, these uh, these judgments uh, is what needs to happen in the next few years. I'm, uh, you know, I'm uh, more optimistic uh, than than not that that will happen. But I'm not going to sit here and say that that is the case uh, today. And do you see Britain playing a particular role? I mean, presumably, if things are established in Britain on a good footing, then other countries may be inclined to... Well, it's a, yeah, absolutely. And it's a natural leader. I think it, it, the UK has taken leadership role in terms of, I mean, first G7 to legislate, country to legislate net zero. And is that specifically because of Britain's financial muscle or political? Well, I or? think, I think. I mean, on the first, it's a choice. It's a choice of, you know, Parliament representing us all. And uh, I think there is strong uh, support for that. That's my, I mean, it's not for me to say, but that's my impression. Certainly in the election, there was no uh, disagreement uh, about about that uh, objective. But in terms of uh, the financial sector, where, where what we see is that the expertise around identifying and managing these risks, a lot of the expertise is resident in the UK. And we can use the next year, particularly because of COP26 and you know our hosting it, and, and the focus and the strength of the financial s- sector to really leapfrog on that, uh, move farther ahead. And if it's happening in the world's leading financial center, which is the UK, um, others will others will catch up. Right. And presumably, this could also happen in the technology sector, that if in Britain, our companies are leading the way, developing new technologies, then that makes it easier for other countries to follow. Well, I mean, some of the basic uh, technologies, uh, some of the technologies which would appear to have some of the widest applications, uh, whether it's in material sciences, graphene, others, um, uh, or in AI. In fact, as you I'm sure know, that uh, grid optimization and other applications there are, are one of the big energy savings. There is a global thirst for these technologies. So w- if we supply them, others will apply them. But if others come up with them, we will be, we'll be looking to import them. Yeah. Um, 
We mentioned earlier the, the idea of a carbon tax as a, a contributor to the solution. If a carbon tax is brought in, what do you see the role of organisations like the Bank of England as being, or do, do you think such a tax would be set, set centrally? How would that happen? It's better to have those taxes moving slowly and predictably, and in the case of the carbon tax, slowly and predictably upwards. And as we were talking earlier, the more credible that process is, the more the market will anticipate, oh, if it's, for example, 75 pounds per ton today, it'll be 100 in a few years' time. So when I make this investment today, I'm going to anticipate that future carbon tax, even though I'm not paying it, to make sure that the investment's still profitable at that. And that's great, because that effectively pulls forward the adjustment. So it's not really, not that you were necessarily suggesting it, but it's not really like an interest rate that we use to control monetary policy where we might move it up, you know, uh, one time and then, you know, several months later or a year later, move it back down uh, because we're dealing with shorter term fluctuations. This is a tax that's addressing a structural change in the economy, not something that's cyclical. On the other hand, it'll presumably need to be something that's coordinated between different countries. One of the challenges in the global transition is that some countries are going to move more rapidly than others, and maintaining or not the the degree of openness and uh, open trade between them could possibly become a bigger issue. And uh, I think these are are complex political issues uh, that really have to be balanced through the political system, not not outsource. You can't really outsource them no, to the to uh, the technocrats. Our job is to make sure that the syst- financial system is is resilient and ready to adjust to those types of changes. Well, thank you very much, Mark. That's been a fascinating discussion. Just to finish, I'd be interested to know: Do you see the ultimate solution to climate change as involving adaptation of our current economic system, or as some people claim, do we need to have fundamental change? Is it is it possible to be green and capitalist, or are we going to have to renounce capitalism in its current form in order to become green? Well, I think, I mean, it's a deep question. I think we're going to absolutely require markets uh, for much of the adjustment that's necessary. We need the innovation, we need the new technologies ultimately to effectively get to where we need to go. After all, net zero, um, uh, the net in net zero requires commercial, uh, at a minimum, something like commercial carbon capture and storage for which you know there are there are techniques, but they're they're not as efficient. So we will need the market to innovate in a whole host of ways, um, experiment, make mistakes, lose money, make money um, in order to do it. So I think we need the core of the system to be there. Uh, at the same time, what we need is through climate policy to internalize these externalities that are at the heart of the challenge of climate change both um, in space and in time, the tragedy of horizon, if you will, uh, over time, uh, to, be, to be brought in. And the whole process will be made more effective the more that individuals, all of us, are taking into account the scale of the issue and adapting how we invest, um, also how we consume. And, um, but again, that will flow through the system. So the scale of the adjustment is, is enormous. The core of the system properly supported, framed, directed, will, uh, I I think, still need to be the market system to be effective. Thank you very much indeed. It's been very interesting to talk to you. Thank you, Peter. 
Thank you for listening to Future Makers, and I hope you've enjoyed our series. By the way, if you haven't already checked out season one of Future Makers, it was all on artificial intelligence. Find that on your usual podcast provider, and I hope you really like it. That's it for now, but we're hoping to return with some more bonus episodes in the new year, so watch out on your podcast provider. Until then, I'm Peter Milliken, and you've been listening to Future Makers.